This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, January 27th. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Telluride Real Estate Braces for Transition, a day in the life of a miner with Finton Cole and eyes to ears with Bella Eatman, Recreation Rangers are a forest resource, and a mountain weather forecast. The pandemic turbocharged real estate in Telluride, and although it has long been a luxury market, the last few years have seen dollar values in the Box Canyon skyrocket. Jim Lucarelli, a real estate agent here in Telluride, recalls recent years have left prior records in the dust. The high water mark in real estate for, for San Miguel County was going back historically was 2007. And in 2007, the county sold of $756 million in real estate sales. We did not cross that mark again until the year 2020 when the pandemic came. And for the first time in 2020, the county broke the billion-dollar mark in terms of gross sales, with gross sales of $1.1 billion, a high-water mark of $1.4 billion in December 2021, and 2022 retreated back to $1.1 billion again. 2022 marked the third billion-dollar year for the county's real estate market in a row. But as the world transitions out of the pandemic, new economic trends are on the horizon. Telluride Consulting collects and analyzes real estate data across San Miguel County. Its report at the conclusion of 2022 notes the number of transactions in Telluride has fallen, but those fewer properties are selling for more. CEO of Telluride Consulting, Garrett Brafford, explains. The number of transactions in 2022 20, was, was down uh, significantly from 2020 and 21, 22 was, there were 582 transactions in 21, there were 944, and in 2020, there were 814. Um, but they're, you know, the dollar volumes all relatively close, um, just showing that the average transaction price is up pretty significantly. Homes continue to sell for more and more. But while the pandemic saw a bounty of homes being sold, few properties are now coming on the market. President of the Telluride Association of Realtors, Tracy Boyce, says that lack of inventory has cooled things down. I think we're definitely back to pre-pandemic activity. We've seen the market slow quite a bit uh, in the, the end of the fourth quarter of 22 and it's still somewhat slowed in uh, 23, the beginning of the first quarter. Um, And that's kind of what I see. While I, again, I see some inventory coming to the market, I think it's going to be still, you know, very low inventory as it relates to, you know, 10 years ago, et cetera. Houses aren't coming on the market in part because of national economic trends. For years, interest rates were at all-time lows. But throughout the second half of 2022, the federal government began to raise rates in order to cool inflation. This makes borrowing money to buy a house more expensive. Lucarelli says those interest rates, along with the general uncertainty about the direction of the economy, are deterring people from moving. Everybody's just kind of staying put because they just fear paying that higher interest rate and the uncertainty of where the interest rate's going to go. The interest rates were brought up so quickly by the Fed over the course of the last six to nine months that, you know, people were nervous. Are, are we 
going to go back down. Seems very unlikely at this point. Uh, should we be buying because things are going to get higher? But uh, this has also contributed to the the paucity in, 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 in supply in, in our housing market. People are just not as eager to move. Bradford concurs. Even while coming out of another record-breaking year, a feeling of transition is in the air. There are uh, rising interest rates. Um, there are rising building costs, uh, which is making it challenging if people are taking out a loan to build. Um, and then there's also, you know, of course, economic concerns and you know talks of a, a recession in 23. So. What does the landscape look like going forward? I'm not sure. Uh, there's a lot of moving pieces, but you know we're we're certainly interested in in watching it unfold. One trend, however, is certain to hold. As homes become more scarce and more expensive in Telluride, the gap between luxury real estate and middle income and workforce housing options is only getting wider. Boyce says opportunities for affordable housing could open up as the town looks to collaborate with the private sector, something it's rarely done before. You know, I do see, uh, you know, paths moving forward with, you know, public-private partnerships for the town for development of affordable housing. Most cities and towns uh, remedy housing challenges with those partnerships. But so far, Telluride hasn't forged a partnership with a private developer. Um, I understand that they haven't found the right fit, but they are looking into those partnerships for the future, which is very exciting. While buyers can find lower prices outside of Telluride in communities such as Norwood and Ridgeway, realtors note that prices in those markets have continued to climb as well. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. We're nearing one of the biggest sports days in the U.S. This week on a day in the life of a minor, Telluride High School's Finton Colt brings the latest on pro football and local basketball. This is Finton Colt on your sports update. The Kansas City Chiefs won their home game against the Jacksonville Jaguars 27-20 and the Philadelphia Eagles crushed the New York Giants by a jaw-dropping 38-7. The Bills lost against the Bengals 27-10, and the 49ers won a nail-ripper against the Cowboys 19-12. The day of the Super Bowl is February 12th, and my Super Bowl winning streak is intact, and it's three meetings long. My Super Bowl years that shined over me were 47, 49, 50, 52, 54, 55, and 56. That's seven correct guesses, and getting eight right would fly me past Tom Brady. Kansas City and Philadelphia are both 14-3, and three, so if they both win, it's going to be a tight Super Bowl. The last time these two teams faced each other, Kansas City won 42-30. The Telluride High School basketball team lost their away game against Manco 68-51. This loss ended their four-game winning streak. The team is 6-5 and five overall and third in the league. They are on the road against the Nuclear Mustangs before they come back home to face the Blue Jays again. There you have it for your sports updates for this week. I'm Fintan Cole reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you next week.
In this installment of Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman sticks close to home. Have a listen. Good evening, and welcome back to Eyes to Ears, a cuddle segment where I, Bella Eman, describe and talk about art pieces that I find in multiple local art galleries. I hope that the winter weather has been manageable. I hope that you've been able to stay inside and stay warm these past few holidays. However, today we will be talking about the painting called The Judd Weeby by Wayne McKenzie. I saw this piece earlier in the week in the Elenoff Fine Art Gallery. Said gallery was quite packed to the brim with a lot of statues, jewelry cases, sculptures, and of course, paintings. But despite it at all, I found a painting that caught my eye for perhaps its locality compared to the others. If you're on the main street of Telluride right now, I suggest that you take a look at the mountain that is to the south or southeast of the town. Now look a little bit to the left and see the mountain there. I'd like you to imagine hiking on that mountain to the left on the warm summer's day. That mountain to the south would be in three quarters and almost to your level if you've hiked to the near top of the left mountainside. That is how we start off this description, but in layman terms, I'd say blue snow-topped mountains in the three-quarter view. Above and behind the mountains are sunny blue skies with just a bit of misty clouds. Over all that, we have the mountainside to the left, complete with lush, overgrown vegetation, long and wild grass with bush branches growing like wood claws, ready to scratch any animal that would go by. Just to the top and climbing up, there grows a few big aspen trees with their own small emerald canopy of leaves. And climbing up the hill, there is a dark red dirt path that leads up the mountain. And nearing the top, we find two hikers. Our closest hiker had dark brown hair while they don a light brown backpack with a cyan t-shirt and jean shorts. Ahead of them hiked their partner with a lighter brown, almost red head of hair with a bright red short-sleeved shirt, blue backpack, and light brown cargo shorts. Thank you for listening. This episode was quite long. I'm sure you'd agree, but there was a lot to this painting, a lot that I really liked. When I was at the gallery, the employee that was there that day had shown me variations on different sized canvases without the trees. After seeing the first variation with the trees, I thought that the two other variations were a little more empty. Now, if you've been to the Elenoff Gallery, you'd know that this place is pretty full to the brim with art pieces of all kinds, so why did I choose the Judd Weeby? I believe that I picked it for its locality. I was born and raised in this area, so seeing this painting, the vegetation, the color of the dirt, seeing those kinds of people on that trail, there's an understanding there that this is the natural Colorado experience. And in my view, that is home. Thank you once again for tuning in. This has been Eyes to Ears. My name is Bella Eadman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.
on a break from college, or perhaps recently graduated, what better way to spend a summer than recreating in the San Juans as your very employment? Chris Smith, the recreation staff officer for the Norwood District of the Grand Mesa Uncompagre in Gunnison National Forest, says that's how many recreation rangers come to their work with the forest program. They get a lot of folks from colleges and straight out of high or out of college or still in college folks that are, this is their first recreation or natural resources job. Smith presented to the Board of County Commissioners this week on the Recreation Ranger program. Rec rangers take on conservation and infrastructure projects in the National Forest, run educational programs with local partners such as the Wilkinson Library, and aim to connect with as many forest users as they can. Smith says in 2022, rec rangers made tens of thousands of connections. Um, Altogether, we made 25,000 visitor contacts, those meaning that we had actual interactions with folks. So those don't count the people that, you know, maybe passed us by and just said hi. But that's the total amount of actual uh, conversations we had with the rec rangers. Um, We were over 280 educational enforcement reports. So uh, our rec rangers don't have um, official forest protection officer training. They have an informal training So basically, those are educational enforcements. Seasonal workers do not have full law enforcement capacities or training. So they direct forest users with educational materials instead. Smith says many of these interactions involve campers who are staying too long. The Forest Service around Telluride enforces a shorter seven-day length of stay than other areas in Colorado. And our biggest um, chunk of the pie there is our camping enforcement. Basically, folks that are camping camping too close to water, the camping past the seven-day stay limit, and Telluride has a seven-day stay limit. Um, Most of the rest of the forest, and nationally, the stay limit is 14 days, but here it's seven days. That's a forest order that was here before I got here, Um, and that's something that seems to help with people living on the forest around this area. Probably our biggest um, enforcement contact we had. Smith says the Rec Ranger program continues to grow and thrive, but the biggest challenge facing the program is a familiar one in the currently tight job market. As you folks are probably aware, it's been harder and harder to recruit and hire. We don't pay a ton. Um, These folks do have housing. We have housing in Matterhorn Cabin, um, which is right across from San Bernardo. It was kind of an unsuccessful hiring season in general for the Forest Service. We had very few candidates uh, for all of our positions. San Miguel County is one of the partner organizations which helps fund the rec rangers. Smith says moving to a five-year funding agreement with room for flexibility would help with planning, hiring, budgeting, and with administrative efficiency. County Commissioner Hillary Cooper says the county can make certain commitments to ease the budgeting process, but it can't pledge more than a year's funding at a time. Yeah, we just have to watch the language on that because we can't commit. um, For sure past one year for the um, contribution, but I think we could consider a commitment to the partnership with the recognition that it's annual funding approved by the board. All commissioners pledge support for the Recreation Ranger program over the long term and say they'll find a way to reflect that commitment in budgeting processes. The issue of affordable housing, with its dearth of options and complicated questions, can cause a headache. 
But next week, the Mountain Village Housing Authority is excited to host a housing forum, which will focus on the many affordable housing opportunities that the town has in the works. Discussion will cover expansion plans at the Village Court Apartments, development plans at Lot 644, and an option to purchase property in Ilium for a large-scale affordable development. The event will be held on Tuesday, January 31st from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the Mountain Village Town Hall. A discussion will be held and questions will be taken. Local law enforcement agencies and schools in the Roaring Fork Valley and in western Garfield County had a busy Wednesday morning following a threat to schools in Summit County. Garfield County communications staff initially alerted the Pitkin County Sheriff's Office that a man who allegedly made the threat was believed to be armed and in old snowmass. The Aspen School District, Roaring Fork Schools, and Garfield RE2 District all went into secure lockout at 8.50 a.m. That's when exterior doors are locked and no one is able to enter or leave facilities. Authorities close Watson Divide and Snowmass Creek Roads to secure the area and conduct operations. Law enforcement took Charles Drawn, a 26-year-old from Glenwood Springs, into custody just after 10 a.m. and lifted road closures at 10.15. Schools reopened shortly thereafter. Drawn faces charges of felony and misdemeanor menacing and interference with staff and faculty and students of educational institutions. He allegedly directed threats towards teachers and staff of Summit County Schools, including Superintendent Tony Bird on the Summit Daily Newspaper's Instagram page. A bill working its way through the state legislature would launch a new statewide wildfire detection system powered by artificial intelligence. KUNC state capitol reporter Lucas Brady Woods reports a similar effort failed last year. The bill would create a $2 million pilot program to test the new system. Remote cameras equipped with AI would be used to detect smoke plumes. State Senator Joanne Ganahl is one of the lawmakers behind the bill. She says the goal is to reduce wildfire response time by reporting a fire as early as possible. A lot of these wildfires show up in remote regions, and in order to get firefighters there, it may take hours, whereas if we see it right away, we can take care of it a lot faster, get somebody there a lot faster. The technology is already being used in Boulder and Aspen and in other western states. Lawmakers tried to launch the system last year, but the legislation was canceled before a final vote. There is bipartisan support for this year's bill, and it's been approved by the Senate Agriculture and Natural Resources Committee. It's headed to the Senate floor for a second reading. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the State Capitol. The town of Bluff in southeastern Utah is home to the Bluff International Balloon Festival. Earlier this month, the festival, now in its 24th year, kicked off with hot air balloons, an art fair, and even a little inclement weather. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KSJD's Chris Clements has more. Picture this. The sun hasn't risen yet, and all around you, lighting up the pre-dawn dark, are golden jets of fire. Those are the hot air balloons propane burners, which keep the balloons aloft once they're in the air. 
Charles Clark is a crew member for the balloon called Marauder's Mark, named after the map in the Harry Potter book series which reveals the location of everyone in Hogwarts. Hot air balloons are silent once they're in the air, according to Clark. And you will literally hear your heartbeat. It is amazing. Marauder's Mark is piloted by retired Major General David Eichhorn, with help from his wife, Anita, who likens the entire process of balloons taking off to herding elephants. When balloons take off, they, they go, they just go different ways. Yeah. And they go, and they separate, separate. out. On this particular day, Anita is keeping her feet on the ground, assisting her husband by leading the chase crew from below. A hot air balloon chase crew follows the balloons in cars, turning onto dirt roads and tracking those floating above in the hopes of finding a good spot for the balloon to land. Marauder's Mark, Marauder's Mark chase. Uh, that's all fenced and gates. If you go to the other side of the house, but as Anita tracks the balloon in her truck, she says she notices it's moving too fast to land. And on top of that, there doesn't seem to be a good place for the balloon to touch down either. If I go to the other side of the house, it's better? Yes, but you you got to get over those those lines. There's a road, the gate is Eventually, Anita finds a spot along a scraggly red dirt road for Marauder's Mark and its crew to land safely. Set up where you want me to land, please. We made it down safe. On the side of the hill, we're watching what everybody else is doing, and they're not finding a good landing site yet. This is a little squirrely because of the fence on the other side, but this will work. For an experienced pilot like David, the key thing to remember about being a good balloon pilot is that you can't use brute force. Like today, as we dropped down, the, the balloon turned right. So you have to think ahead, and it's more art than science. All right, and I'm always jealous of people who can play a, a musical instrument or uh, paint, sculpture. I mean, the, the artistry is just amazing. I, like I said, I'm jealous of people who can do that. My form of artistry is maneuvering a balloon, like I said, it's finesse, into the right layer to where I go where I want to go and I can land where I, I want to land. Now all that's left to do is pack up the balloon and head back to the Bluff Community Center, the home base for the festival. Back in town, David stages an impromptu initiation ceremony for the two sponsors who rode in the balloon. The idea is to pick up a tiny glass of champagne off the ground using only their mouths. You flew without wings. You have to drink with no hands. All right, like so. I will Though the balloons are all packed away now, they'll be back in the clouds next January. Oh, that was good. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around 15 degrees. Saturday calls for scattered snow in the morning followed by clearing and sun in the afternoon. The high should be around 30. Saturday night calls for partial clouds in wind and a low around 10 degrees. Sunday should be partly sunny with a high near 30 and Sunday night calls for snow showers and more windy conditions with a low around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, January 27th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.